You are listening to episode 18 of the TJ Tells It podcast. Today, I'm bringing you part one of my interview with Bianca Queen B. Martin, who tells you all about motivation and everything you need to keep moving on your health and fitness journey. Welcome to the TJ Tells It podcast. I'm your host, TJ, and this is your straight talk guide to the fitness lifestyle by a non-traditional fitness junkie. Have you ever said, I could never run, lift weights, take a spin class, complete a 5K, or even that marathon? If you ever said, I'm not the fitness type, are you afraid to go to the gym because you don't know where to start or what to do? Or are you just looking for a little motivation to get out the door? If I just described you, then this is the podcast for you. You will hear about starting a health and fitness lifestyle, tips and tricks to staying on track and motivated. You'll learn the ins and outs of becoming a healthier you. You will also get to meet some of my favorite fitness junkies around and more. Lace up your shoes and let's get this journey started. Hey, hey, welcome to the TJ Tells It podcast. I am TJ, your host, and today I have part one of an interview with Bianca Queen B. Martin, who is also uh, my marathon sister, really good friend, and all-around fitness motivator. She tells all of the things. It is um, one of those things where if you need a little motivation to get off the couch and get moving and know that there are people out there working hard she's going to give that to you. Um, I just want to give everyone just a quick update on what's going on in my world of health and fitness. I am just finished with my first um, health and fitness challenge of the year. I did a 60 day challenge. Um, It was all about body transformation and I started doing uh, the ketogenic diet And it has worked quite successfully for me and I am enjoying it. I will be continuing it past the 60 days, partly because I am in another health and fitness challenge called Fit Trip. And I've done this one. This will be my fourth time doing it. And it is all about changing your body composition and um, can you build muscle, burn fat, and take home the grand prize? I am moving from a fitness studio-based workout to doing more uh, in the gym, heavy lifting, and using one of my favorite apps, Fit Radio, to get in my cardio and lifting now that they have their new strength program, which is awesome. And... Peachtree training starts with Atlanta Track Club in the next month or so, and I'm super excited about that. So I have started back running again, even though I sort of took a bit of a break from the running outdoors thing. Um, I recently just got back from the USATF Masters Indoor National Championship in Winston-Salem, and I did the shot put, weight throw, and super weight. Weight. And in weight throw and super weight, I was able to improve my personal records, which was awesome. And I also did the four by eight and the four by two. If for you, those of you who don't know about indoor track, it's generally a 200 meter track. So a four by two, you're like, okay, sweet. One lap around the track. I'm in, I can do that. Well, a four by eight means four laps around the track. And in an indoor arena, you've got people very close to you all the way around the track. It's great for crowd support, but I hadn't really planned on running a four by eight, partly because I wasn't sure that I could run for a half a mile without stopping. And when you're on a track, it it's a little bit different than a road race where you take a walk break and um, people will tend to notice. But I did make it around. I even managed to keep my pants up, which has been a struggle in running a 200 meter track for some reason. My pants will not uh, stay up, but that's either here or there. I'd rather have that issue than anything else. It's actually quite funny sometimes. Um, I take off and then my pants start sliding down. I have lost um, a significant amount of weight and I thought my drawstring would be strong enough. But after um, seeing Bianca on a, after a bike ride, which you'll find out that she's a cyclist and all of that, 
But uh, she had on what I like to call overall shorts. She calls them bib shorts or whatever. I'm like, I need to get me a pair of those. And maybe when I'm running, my pants will stay up. Hello. So I'm going to be checking out some bib shorts so I can have me some suspenders to hold my pants up while I'm running. I call it genius, not just for cyclists. But in the end, uh, the Atlanta Track Club Masters Elite Team won the whole shebang, which was awesome to be a part of that team. And being back in the track and field world, it's always very inspiring when you see a 94-year-old woman set a world record or American record and you're like, okay, I got you. I'm marking that down. And when I turn 94, I'm taking your record. Gives you some motivation to keep moving forward always. So with all that being said, I uh, want to bring you part one of my interview with Bianca Queen B. Martin. And she is the same B that I'm always talking about um, on Instagram or even previously on the podcast. But without further ado, here is the interview. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm bringing you an interview with Bianca, who is my marathon sister and friend on her very own health and fitness journey. Bianca, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Hello, I'm Bianca. Um, I am 28 years old, although for some reason this entire year, every time someone asks me, I still want to say 27. Not sure why. Um, I am in the fitness industry pretty much full time. I work for a smartphone app called Fit Radio, do audio coaching for them, and I am our director of fitness. And I also teach spin class and hit workouts. And outside of that, I am a competitive cyclist. Um, so I race road bikes too. I am a proud mother of a fur baby named PETA, who's the world's greatest dog. Look her up at PETA with Strangers. Shameless plug, shameless plug. And um, yeah, what else? I think that's about it. Yeah. So, you know, the people want to know all the things about you. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about your health and fitness journey, how you got started mm-hmm. in doing all the things athletic. So where'd you start? How old were you? Ooh, so I was, I was pretty much born into a house of sport. Um, my dad is a two-time Olympic cyclist, um, and my mom is a two-time national champion cyclist. So my entire childhood was, uh, Saturday and Sunday mornings spent alone with my brother and I watching cartoons while my parents went out for five to six hour bike rides, which was awesome. So yeah, my whole life I had, um, awesome role models and it was just kind of an unwritten thing that you were going to be in a sport pick whatever sport you want, but you're not just going to sit around and do nothing. So find an activity. And when I was little, I tried absolutely everything. So horseback riding, ballet, basketball, soccer, swimming, little tennis here and there. Um, And I landed on track and field um, in high school and kind of just stuck with running. I thought I wasn't going to make the soccer team going into high school. And my mom was like, okay, well, you better find an activity to do this summer because we signed you up for all these soccer camps. Now you're not going. So I hooked up with a friend that was uh, living up the street. And she's like, I'm going to cross-country practice. And I figured, all right, I'll just do it during the summer. And then I'm not going to do it when high school starts. All of a sudden, I'm running with the varsity team. And I'm like, not too bad at this. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I stuck with it. And that was that. It's funny. I did all the things sort of athletic dance. I played soccer, mm-hmm. softball. And when I got to high school, I landed on debate. <laughs> <Just saying. laughs> I think I would have killed some debate. But uh, yeah, tracking track cross country took up a lot of time. Nice. So what was your biggest accomplishment in high school in track and field? Mm, let's see. I was the – well, I, I up until last year – um, had the school record in the 800 meters, big time. What is it, two sixteen point two or something? And she says that like she doesn't really know the numbers. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it's two sixteen point something. Um, but that was recently broken. Great job to I believe her name is Irene. Um, and what else in high school? I made um, state and cross country as an individual my junior year, and I had been a couple of years since a girl on the team had done that and we made it as a team my senior year. And that was a really big accomplishment for us as well. Nice. 
So where did you grow up? Where did you do all this running and whatnot? Mm-hmm. So I was born in Florida, lived there till I was 10. And then my dad got a job transfer. We drove across the country, spent most of my time in Oregon. So I was in Beaverton, Oregon, home of Nike USA. Nice. Mm-hmm. So you did all the things running in high school yes. and then – you went to college. What did you do in college? I did go to college. So I got a small scholarship, very small, to the University of New Mexico. I was hell-bent on going to a Division One school. Probably should have gone D2, gotten a full ride. We'd be in a different place now, but it's fine. So yeah, I went to University of New Mexico in Albuquerque, um, which is an awesome place. And I ran track there for two years. Lots of injuries. Um just wasn't running great and running was important enough to me to make the transition to transfer schools. So I ended up at Portland State back in Oregon, lived with my parents again, which was a tough pill to swallow as a junior in college. Um, And I started getting coached by my old high school coach who I'd been in touch with this whole time, um, Andrew Bagley, who you know, and have another interview with his lovely wife, Amy. I do, I do. Yes, yes, yes. So that was that. Nice. So then did you run professionally? What did you do after college? Oh. Give us all the details about the history because now you're talking about your cyclist. I know, it's weird. It's a weird transition. So once I got to Portland State, um, I actually wasn't running for the team there. So I was just running as an individual We'll call that like semi-pro at the time because I wasn't really making money doing that. Um, And unless you're making money, you're not technically a professional. So I kept my sort of amateur status. And my senior year, the coach at Portland State was like, hey, so you run, but you're not on the team. What's the deal? And so he was willing to put me on a full ride um, for literally one semester, track season only, my senior year of college, which was incredible. So um, I ran for them, did really well. Had a, had a knee surgery prior to the season um, and somehow came into it and beat my best time in every single event I'd ever run, which was awesome. So coming out of that, um, I, I had been continued to be coached by Andrew and him and Amy had just got a job at UConn. So they were going to be coaching at the University of Connecticut. So I made the big decision to move across the country again and go live with my coaches, try to be a professional runner. That was always the dream. Connecticut was not oh, my favorite place. <laughs> I'm cold just thinking about it. I'm not going to lie. It's the it's the coldest I think I've ever been. It was like 14 degrees one day with wind chill. It was like under zero and it was awful. So we all hated living there. Um, but Andrew and Amy, you know, had a good job, yada, yada. And then um, one thing led to another and they actually got the opportunity to come to Atlanta for the Atlanta Track Club. So, yeah, right? So now they are in our lives here instead, and I moved to Atlanta. Um, But just injury after injury after injury was not the business for me. So, again, massive pill to swallow, but I had to make the tough choice to transition out of running, Um, obviously with my parents' background, the way that it is. Probably should have picked up cycling sooner than I decided to. Um, But, you know, it's pretty big shoes to fill. And that was always my hesitation. And they never pushed me towards it. So, you know, I never felt the pressure to do it. Um, But once I started, I was a little mad at myself for not doing it sooner. um, Because... My dad likes to say, like, you were bred for this, you know? Like, I mean, really, I picked it up very quickly. Kind of true. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, you know, but we all find our own way, and it is what it is. I I think I am the cyclist that I am because of everything that I went through with running and sort of the grit and the determination and the perseverance that I learned through all of those injuries. Like, I feel like I had to do that to be able to approach cycling in the way that I'm able to now, so – that's, we're going to come back to that in a second, but funny story. So once she leaves Connecticut and comes to Atlanta, that's when I met Bianca. Yes. What, oh, four or five years ago now? No, not even. Three. Three? Yes. No. I know. It's longer than It was the fall of 2015. Promise um, you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So she shows up to uh, 
women in training, which is, was a 5k training program for, um, women only. And it gets you ready for the, um, Atlanta women's 5k, which is my inaugural 5k race that I ever ran. I talked about that. in I think episodes one and two probably. And she shows up and there's this cute woman. She's bouncing around and she's super excited. And we're all like, dude, it's early ankle. I need you to take it down a notch. But here's the thing. So week after week after week, it's cold. I mean, it's cold as it gets in Atlanta because it's not really that cold. Sure. And she shows up in these basically knee-high laced up boots with fur on them and a long jacket. And I'm like. Okay, can we just rewind though? My life at the time, I was injured. Okay, couldn't run. And so I wasn't going to show up in like running clothes. Like I was gonna, you know, layer up as I did. So TJ, we weren't sure that she actually owned p- full pants because you never saw anything except for her knee, probably, <laughs> and that's it. So then comes race day, and yeah. she shows up, and we're like, that's a tutu. <laughs> it's the women's 5K. People dress up. And those are shorts, we think, but there was a debate about whether or not those were underwear. <laughs> and we're like, what is... We snowballs. Who knew? This is craziness. <laughs> Insanity. And then I think she went and, and she ran the race and we're like, did they just announce your name? You've been, you've been hanging out in the parking lot, having us do all these crazy things. She also led a boot camp type workout for us. And you, you did not share. This I is mean, not- you don't need to tell everyone everything. You know, that's why I'm not on Strava. No one needs to know what I'm doing on a regular basis for training. Okay? Keep it to yourself. Be humble. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> However, we were all like, hmm. Okay. I see We you. see. We see what's going on here. And that's when I started formulating all the plans. I'm just saying. <laughs> so all the plans. I was like, oh, yeah. You're going to. You can. This is me. This will be good. This will be thing. good. But anyway, so let's go back to injuries. Mm-hmm. And I have heard the story many times about how your last races in high school went after any injury. But can you tell the people all about training for was it state and track and field? After your knee injury, where you trained on an elliptical, and that's it. Uh huh. So this is or is that um, college? This is college. Ah. Yes. So, um, I had undiagnosed knee pain and sporadic random swelling for about three years before anyone figured out what was wrong with me. Um, and that started in New Mexico. So I woke up one morning and my left leg was normal and my right leg, at least at the knee, looked like a 300 pound linebacker. Like it was massive. That's how much fluid was in there. And I remember I went into the training room and I was really good friends with the the head trainer's name was Smitty. And I walked in, I was wearing sweatpants and I threw my sweatpants down. I had shorts underneath and just threw them down to my ankles. And I was like, Smitty, what's wrong with my knee? And he took one look and was like, oh my God, get on the table. <laughs> so he was kind of messing around with it. And again, no one knew what the deal was. So it would all of a sudden swell and then it would be fine. And then it would swell again. That would be fine. Mm-hmm. I'd have to take a couple of days off in between let it heal, whatever it was going to do, fluid would go out. And then, I mean, it was three years of that. Got to the point where I couldn't run on any uneven surface mm-hmm. at all. The second I would take five steps on grass, it'd be swollen the next day. Wow. Could only run on pavement or the track. That was it. Um, so it was really limiting from a training perspective. Um, so eventually found a doctor who, although the x-ray and MRI didn't show anything, was very convinced that I had what's called Plykaban syndrome. So quick little medical story for everyone. Um, Everyone, as they're growing and developing in the womb, have plica in their knee, which is basically just extra tissue. You can almost think of it as the appendix of the knee. You don't need it, but it's there. And as you grow and develop, it sort of just disappears in most people. Some people, it sticks around. You can have up to three, you can have one, you can have two or three. So I had um, at least one big one in my knee, and it's the kind of thing where unless you are going to do some sort of overuse activity, cough, cough, running, (laughs) you're actually never going to have issues with it because you're not stressing the knee enough to cause problems. So that was my life. So basically this piece of tissue just gets caught in places that it shouldn't. And when it does, you know, you have that sharp pain and then that's when the swelling would happen. So 
long story short, get surgery. And going into my senior season, um, I was probably four to five days a week, elliptical and bike workouts only. And so I would do two workouts a week running outside. Then I would do my long run outside. And those were the only three days that I was running at all. Everything else was done on the elliptical. And so we came into the season and like somehow I was in incredible shape. And it just goes to show that like those workouts and long runs are really the only super important part of your training. Everything else is kind of junk miles. And so people are so obsessed with like hitting this mileage number. And so we basically equated 10 minutes of cross training on the elliptical or the bike to one mile of running. And I know Andrew and Amy still do that. So I was hitting you know, 60 to 70 quote unquote miles a week, but probably 20 to 25 of that was actually outside. The rest of it was in the gym. Nice. I will uh, put the formula that Amy talked about in her interview about how to calculate it for those of us who don't run like a two minute mile or whatever. <laughs> right. um, so that you can also use the same formula so that you can get a true accurate picture of what uh, running or cross training for 10 minutes is in terms of mileage. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing though, when you're cross training, it is very easy to not try very hard (laughs) because ellipticals are really boring. Bikes indoors can be really boring. And so a lot of people don't get in shape or at least hold their fitness when they have to cross train and get injured because people don't push themselves hard enough. Solution to that, just use Fit Radio. I talked about it before. Shameless plug, shameless plug. This is the same my girl B that I'm always talking about. Um, And trust me, you you won't be um, out of shape by Mm -hmm. using the elliptical bike or um, anything else. Very true. When you do a Fit Radio coached workout. But anyway, continue your story. Yes. Um, Yeah, no. So, I mean, we all, it was kind of a a big unknown going into that season, what was going to happen. And um, they had just come up with, you know, an awesome (laughs) training program. And that's like, I, you know, Andrew could tell me that if you go bungee jumping three times a week, you're going to get better at running. And it'd be like, sweet, like get me the gear. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I just trusted them so much. And that's obviously so important in a coach athlete relationship. And, um, yeah, I just, I murdered that season. Every single event from the 400 to the 5K, I PR'd in. Every single one. Multiple times. Um, so, yeah. Cross-training. Cross-training <laughs> and resilience during injury time yep. is key to kind of keeping your move, your fitness journey going forward. You know, and that's not to say that I didn't have some dark days during oh. that, though. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. May have seen a little bit of that uh, March of 2016, but mm-hmm. we'll talk about that later, mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk a little bit about the mental aspects of your journey. What is one thing that you encounter most in your journey when thinking about your mental health and how you deal with it while you're doing all the things fitness? Mm, that is a tough one. I think I think the main driving force for me from a mental perspective is I think just knowing and being really confident in my potential and almost – being st- oh gosh it hmm. say it being what I mean I'm I'm terrified to not live up to what I know I can do um I think that I was truly put on this earth to do incredible things and I don't necessarily know how I'm going to do them um but just knowing in my back pocket that i was given certain gifts and talents and really wanting to live up to my own standard um and i don't know if it's coming from i transitioned from team sports to individual sports pretty early going into high school so i was you know 13 or 14 um when i started doing individual sports and obviously both my parents only individual sports. And there's a very different mindset when you only have yourself to rely on. Um, I always did really well in like relays and stuff in track and field because, you know, that puts it on 
like, oh, my team's counting on me. I got to, you know? Right. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of sports that involve racing is just you versus you, you versus the clock, you versus that voice inside of your head. And I think I have always felt like I have something to prove because of where, you know, my background is with my parents. And I, I want to prove to myself that I can. Um, and sometimes it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More like always it's a lot of pressure. Um, but I think at the end of the day, just, you know, knowing that I'm supposed to do something big. And I don't know what that is. It might not be in athletics, but that's kind of that driver for me. I like it. So I also kind of, you have this own self, like people ask me, how do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? And I'm like, um, cause I signed up and paid money. But in reality, I'm like, <laughs> I've set this goal and the yeah. target that I'm going to hit. And even though our numbers are not anywhere the same, it's still that same pressure that exists no matter where you are in the span of like the, whether you're the front of the pack, back of the pack or the middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. I think if, if you're going to keep doing it over and over and over again, and you're, you're like doing that crazy distance or trying to shoot for that crazy time, at least whatever crazy time it is for you, you need a little bit of that like mental grit, a little bit of stubbornness mm-hmm. and that just like drive to keep moving forward. And I think that's the difference between people who are consistent and making strides forward versus the people who are kind of start and stop mm-hmm. or pick it up for one time and then put it back down. And they're like, I'm good with that. Like the people who say one and done. And I'm like, yeah, no one and done. You can say that, but I don't know if I believe you. (laughs) And she's laughing because we're going to talk about how, why she's my marathon sister and how she claims that she's only going to do one. But Uh she just talked about how competitive she is. So we know that that's not necessarily true, but you also talked about confidence. So Mm -hmm. how does confidence impact your day-to-day decisions when you are kind of, you have this long-term goal in your mind and you're striving towards it? How does having confidence or the lack thereof impact your Mm. everyday decisions? Confidence is absolutely everything. Um, Confidence allows you to take risks And without risks, you will never, ever see reward. So if you aren't confident in what you're doing, you will never take that leap of faith. And if you never take a leap of faith, like you're just going to be standing up there chilling. And I am not someone who enjoys complacency. Um, I'm always trying to get better, trying to push myself, trying to push my own limits, my own envelope. Um, Like you were talking about goals. Like I don't, when I transitioned from running to cycling, I had this weird in-between time where I didn't really have a goal quite yet because I was new with cycling. I had no idea what I wanted to do with it. And so it was this strange feeling for me where I felt like I was exercising and I wasn't training. Uh, And those are two very different things, right? Exercise is just an activity of, you know, physical exertion that, most people do to improve their health or just, you know, lose weight or, you know, just feel better or whatever. But training is a goal-oriented activity. And that is something where you have a goal that is very defined. You might have multiple goals and you are working towards something versus a lot of people just go to the gym because they're like, I need to get in 30 minutes of cardio because... I should, right? <laughs> you know, versus having that that pressure almost to be like, if I don't go to the gym or if I don't go on this ride today, I'm putting myself back. I'm not taking those steps forward towards my goal. Um, so again, coming back to confidence, I think that I have learned confidence through going through so many things and coming back from so many things. Um, if I was someone who was insecure or, um, you know, just lacked that massive confidence piece, I, I would not be where I am, but I honestly don't think I can tell you where it comes from. I don't, I don't know if that's an innate type of thing. If you, I do know that you can improve upon it and gain more of it, but at a base level, that's really hard to say. Huh. I think some of it might come from how you thought about yourself 
early on in life. So did you think that you were a person who could do things, Mm. whatever that thing is, or were you a person that waited for someone to tell you you could, and then you try it. And if you couldn't do it or you didn't do it well, was that an excused thing? So did someone say, oh, well, that's okay. You're just not going to be a prima ballerina if dancing was the thing that you tried because someone told you to try it versus you see something, you say, I want to do it. And then if it doesn't go the way that you think it should, do you quit it or do you go, I bet there's something else I can do mm-hmm. to make this better. And I, I think that's some of what, a confident person could be because there's definitely a difference between being a cocky person and a confident person Mm -hmm. when it comes at least in the fitness and health and wellness realm of things. And if you're cocky about it, you may be able to have that one time of success, but you're not going to be able to replicate it. But if you're confident, that means that you're doing everything to build a strong foundation Mm -hmm. and can kind of keep yourself going self-motivated without someone telling you that you can do it or you, oh, it's okay that you didn't do it. But rather if someone tells you you can't do something, you're like, oh, I can show you better than I can show you. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is may or may not have gotten me into some crazy situations sometimes, but in the end, I've always been better for it. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Speaking of confidence and innate (laughs) abilities and whatnot, what is your superpower and how do you use it? What is my superpower? I think that I have a pretty good handle on how to motivate not only myself, but other people. Um, And I'm really proud of that fact. I think it's why I'm a good coach. I think it's why I'm a good instructor. Um, I think it's why people can come to my class and leave my class being like, I had no idea that was in me because I can pull that out of people. I can't exactly tell you how, but that's why it's a superpower. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm able to I'm able to see someone's potential and find ways to grab that from them and pull it out of them even when they can't see it themselves. Um, and I try to do that with my own self. <laughs> it's a little harder to do with yourself, um, but yeah. But do you think that it is way harder to motivate yourself than it is to Mm -hmm. motivate someone else? I do um, agree 100%. She's not blowing smoke, guys. She can get you to do things that you're like, really? I'm convincing as fuck. And and I don't, like, and it's not until it's over with that you are like, did I just get bamboozled into working harder than I planned on today? I guess, which is never a bad thing in my world. But I think, though, that... Motivating yourself is significantly harder because you are, you, you got to get that like energy from somewhere and you're going to tamp down the inner mean girl, as I like to talk about those doubts, those like things that you calculated out as being the barriers to whatever your goal is. And so sometimes it's just, you need to surround yourself with someone else who can also do that Mm -hmm. or who's going to at least put you in the space to be able to punch the mean girl in her face and realize that the barriers said in one way is just an excuse. Whereas it could be a reason or just a struggle and you make a plan to get over it. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. I talk about excuses versus reasons and plans and all that. in um, another podcast episode, I'll link it in the show notes, but I think that is a key thing to being able to use your motivator skill and keep it going. Cause you do surround yourself with people who are motivated and want to do more than what, people expect them to do and what they even think themselves can do. I think part of where I struggle with with my own motivation sometimes is because I know that I'm so good at, at pulling it out from other people, I give them some of my own. Um, and I think that there's sometimes where I'm so focused on making sure other people are realizing their own dreams that I can put mine on a back burner. And I don't know if I do that consciously because I'm I'm afraid a little bit to be all in and then what happens if it doesn't work out. So, I mean, you know, we're getting a little therapy session here for me. <laughs> but um yeah, I think I'm I'm really good at 
at telling other people how to do the things and then I can just lose myself in that process. That's true. But I, I, I'm going to go back to keeping that like bubble around you of people mm-hmm. who, if nothing else, will repeat back what you said when right. you voice the same thing, mm-hmm. that same fear that they may have just told you because I will remember what she says and repeat it back to her. <laughs> sometimes that's all you need though. It's, it's just like when I go run lead and I say something on the fly when we're doing ridiculous numbers of miles and trust me, you don't remember what is everything that's been discussed on a long run. You will remember your underwear conversation because inevitably it evolves into some kind of ridiculous laughing fit. But you, <laughs> you don't remember when someone was struggling and you said whatever it was that they needed to hear at that time. And then even months later, they'll be like, oh, it's like the time you told me blah. And I'm like, I said that? Mm-hmm. Huh, I'm smarter than I thought. And then it's like, oh, I totally needed to hear that mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. But I needed to hear it as an input rather than an output. And so it's a great point. I think that's a, a good that's way. That's why I want to record it. myself in class and just play it on back. <laughs> Y'all are, if you're in the Atlanta area, you should just come to class and experience this once or twice or all the time because it's, <laughs> it's all the things that will um, keep you moving forward. Um, one step at a time, but you'll always be moving forward. So, mm-hmm. talking about giving it all and then not leaving a little bit for yourself. Do you think that it ebbs and flows and so that you can keep a balanced lifestyle or is that a, I mean, balance is like being in a bosu ball, you're up and down and all yeah. the leg and back and forward. So how, how do you balance your life? I think it's, I, I honestly have a hard time with it. I'm a very all in person. And so I get very obsessed with whatever goal it is that is in front of me at the time. Um, and so I think that's where that, that motivation piece can waver because if whatever it is that I am going for in cycling, which for the vast majority should be my number one priority if I really want to do what I think I can do with it. Um, but then you've got all of these other things that you also want to be all in on. And I had a conversation with Andrew when I was in college and, I think it applies across the board. It's not just school related, but he said you have three things that are in your life right now. He said you have your athletics, you have your social life, and you have school, your academics. And you can only be good at two of those things. That doesn't mean that you can never do the third thing. It just means that one of them is going to have to take a back burner. If you try to be good at all three of them, it's never going to work. You're going to be mediocre at best at all three. So what does that mean? That means if you want to be good at your sport, then you've got to pick whether or not you're going to study or you're going to go out at night, right? Because if you want to go out at night, your studies are going to suffer. You might still be a good athlete. You might still have this awesome social life, but you're going to get shitty grades, right? Or you want to be a partier all the time and you also want to get good grades. And guess what? You're not going to be good at running. So for me right now, I've got three things. I've got cycling, I've got work, and I've got social. And it's really hard to have a social life and also be functional at work, get what I need to get done, get that paycheck, and be a really good cyclist because both of those things require a ton of time. And if I'm staying out late doing whatever because I want to have this awesome social life, then guess what? I'm going to be tired tomorrow and I'm not going to be able to go for that long ride. And you're not going to be go- be able to go for that long run, you know? Sure. So I think when athletics come into play, oftentimes you'll find that athletes don't have a huge social life because if they have a job, the job is one that you can't really ever compromise on, well, you know, exactly. Cause you need saying. that paycheck. <laughs> so that's not one that I'm going to be like, Oh, I'm just not going to go to work today. Like it doesn't really work like that. So that's the one that you can't compromise on. So then the only two that are left. So, you know, having a boyfriend is hard sometimes right? Having friends is hard sometimes because you end up being that person that says no constantly to, hey, do you want to go out? Do you want to go grab drinks? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? It's like, well, yes, I want to, but I can't and I shouldn't because these other things are my priority. And if I want to be good at cycling, I, I just can't. Doesn't mean I can never do it, right? right? Sure. Went out for Halloween last weekend. It was awesome. Guess who didn't go for a ride on Sunday morning? This girl. You know what I mean? Right. So it's that ebb and flow and that balance. And it's really, really hard. But like I said, I'm, I'm a very all-in person. And so it bothers me 
when I'm trying to be good at all three. Because then I'm just average. And I am not an average person. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. It, it, the struggle is real. And people, when you start marathon training, um, people are like, you're no social life. You're not going to mm-hmm. have, and you're going to socialize with the people that you're right. long running with. Yeah. <laughs> Those are going to become your best friends. Yep. And there's so much truth in that. And mm-hmm. especially when you're in the back of that, because you spend many hours with them and then you're like, ooh, do I eat? Yeah, I'm going to eat. So, yeah, let's go eat together. Exactly. Even though you spent many hours together, you still managed to find something else to talk about. But finding that right crew when you're Mm -hmm. training for something that is going to absorb a lot of your time is key to your mental stability for sure. But also to make you feel like you have a social life. When in reality, you're (laughs) focusing on, I got to get to work because I need to eat because I need all the food when I'm doing all Mm -hmm. this training. Mm -hmm. But I also want to feel like I have some human interaction when I'm not sleeping because you also sleep a lot when you do that too. <laughs> yep. But it's, it is a balance. You can't, what do they say? You can't, you can have it fast and cheap or you can have it fast and good or you can have it mm. um, fast, fast and cheap, fast and good. You can't have like all three at one time. It's, a, I saw it in the, um, in a, and a stylist and a hairdresser one time. Interesting. And it was definitely one of those things where you can't, you can't have all three at one time and insert whatever you want in it. But having all three will make you mediocre for sure. And most mm-hmm. of the time it's not even mediocre. You're just bad at everything. <laughs> and you're going to always be disappointing people. So make a choice and people will respect you for that confident no of no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Or I want to do it, but I can't do it right now. Here are my goals. And maybe set plans in the future. Um, really quick story. I do this body comp challenge every year. Um, I've done it for, I think, the last three years or so. And it's a... 12-week program, but it falls. Like, the end of it is right after my birthday. And uh, I love food <laughs> like nobody's been. The worst. And so when people are like, what do you want? And I'm like, I just want to go out to eat. But right now I'm eating chicken, rice, vegetables, and fruit because, yeah, <laughs> I got this competition I want to win. And this year I made that choice. My mom's like, what do you want um, for – your birthday dinner or whatever. I was like, so we need to postpone it because I want short ribs and mashed potatoes and asparagus. I want all, like, and don't trim the, like, I want it all. I want, I don't want the healthy version of it. Yep. Um, but if you really want to make me birthday dinner, it's going to have to be like grilled chicken wah, and asparagus. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, okay, we'll reschedule that. <laughs> and I knew I was going to want dessert too. And so we rescheduled my birthday. In my world, that is like mm. the premium because my birthday is my personal holiday that no one can take away from me. So true. And I may or may not celebrate for a month or more. Um, do but, you, girl. Do you. <laughs> but it's you do have to make those choices. Yep. But making future plans will make that person you're telling no to feel a lot better about that no because it's not that you're rejecting them you're just postponing that interaction Mm -hmm. and then maybe you send them a couple more texts than you normally would for the next week after that no here's the thing though the people that are supposed to be in your life are the people that will get it and they'll say look I understand. We don't have to go out tonight. I'm coming over with takeout and uh, we're going to watch a movie and you're still going to go to bed at 10 and that's going to be great you know and you will find those people along the way and the people who I've had friends that I've lost because of, you know, just prioritizing other things. And they're like, well, if you don't want to, you know, it's like, well, I don't really need you around. Exactly. You know, sometimes you gotta, (laughs) you gotta let them go or shift them a little bit farther back Mm -hmm. in your Mm -hmm. life. And there's nothing wrong with that. I may or may not do that a lot. Yeah. Um, So what's something that people don't talk about when you're on this health and fitness journey or you're in the losing weight, I always joke about how when Bianca came, she started these boot camps. Then my favorite pair of underwear stopped fitting right because <laughs> I all of a sudden had like lift in the back because squats me or hey. help with the booty. And I was like, no, no one told me that I might have to consider buying new underwear. New clothes, yeah, you think that, but underwear too. What's the what's one thing that you've discovered that someone didn't tell you about along your journey that you mm. wish you would know? <laughs> I think that, and I think a lot of people are starting to realize this, but it's a great reminder um, that the number on the scale is a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> yes. It is a horrific indication of your 
your potential health, of your body composition, of how you feel. Um, just because the scale has gone down five pounds doesn't necessarily mean anything, honestly, because you can fluctuate so much per day, um, whether or not you're, you know, going through your moon cycle or whatever. Right. Right. And so for me right now, I am actually teetering on the heaviest I've ever been from a scale perspective, but I am also more toned than I've ever been. And I am also fitter than I have ever been. And it is doing what I need it to do from a cycling perspective. This weight that I'm currently at would not have worked well when I was running because running is a different sport. And so it's weird because when I started transitioning and I like put on muscle in a different way and, you know, all of a sudden I've got these like quads of steel, you know, because cycling is so quad heavy. Um, And I started to put on a little bit of weight. I was like, whoa, 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 you know. And after a while, I just put the scale away because I was like, it's not helping. It's making it worse. It's making me feel bad about myself when in reality, I'm performing really, really well. So it didn't really matter at that point. And just, it's actually funny we're having this conversation because just this morning, I was like, you know what? I wonder how much I weigh. Let's check. And I haven't changed at all. (laughs) The exact same that I was like eight months ago when I checked, you know, but I still feel different. And so sometimes the scale is not going to change, but you're going to feel different because your body composition has changed. Muscle weighs more than fat. And so. Okay. Nope. Gotta stop you there. Oh no. Gotta stop you there. By the way, guys, muscle does not weigh more than fat. Because a pound of muscle is a pound and a pound of fat weigh exactly one pound. However, muscle takes up less space uh-huh. because it's a more compact tissue uh-huh. than fat. Uh-huh. But continue. <laughs> so so are you proving my point or I am proving your point. Okay. That you build a whole bunch of muscle in the number and you may burn a bunch of fat and the number on the scale doesn't change. For instance, when I do my body comp challenge, I don't pay attention to uh, what the number on the scale is at the end of it. I'm just like, can you tell me what my body fat percentage is and mm-hmm. what is my lean muscle mass? Because that's what I want. For instance, the first year I did it, had I turned in all my forms, I would have won for my club. But oh. Paperwork. Eh. <laughs> I put on 10 pounds of muscle and lost 10 pounds of fat. And you get more points in this challenge by putting on muscle because it is significantly harder to put sure. on muscle than it is to burn fat. So you only get, I think you get a one for one for the fat, but you get like a 1.3 or or 3.1, I don't know, um, points-wise for every pound of muscle that you put on. So, and I dropped, I sort of dropped dress sizes, but because my body was shaped differently, it's really that you change the cut that you can wear. And so I don't always pay attention too much to that either. Um, so, you, but everybody has their fat clothes. And so they're, the clothes when you're like, oh, I'm super bloated or I ate whatever the night before. And when those start getting loose... I know that I'm making the right kind of progress. I definitely pay attention to lean muscle mass more than I do whether or not the number on the scale is dropping. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's one of my pet peeves when people say muscle weighs more than fat. It doesn't. It's it's like the brain teaser of like what's heavier, a pound of feathers or a pound of rocks. Mm. Neither they're of they're both a pound. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But go back to your story. Yeah. Sorry. No. I think my story's over. That's okay. That's pretty much, yeah. I like it. I like it. So let's talk about food and nutrition. Mm. We're sort of the opposite. <laughs> I exercise a whole bunch and then I'm like, I don't want to eat anything until I start eating. And then it's like, oh, maybe I did need to eat <laughs> several hours ago. But how do you manage the nutrition portion of your journey? What is your philosophy about food? Oh, so coming from the world of running and like running at an elite level and seeing uh, anorexia and Mm. bulimia sort of run rampant and also having gone down that path a little bit myself because it's really hard not to, especially because over the course of a 10K, one pound equals about six seconds a mile. So you you start to do the math. Yes, Andrew Begley told me that. So you start to do the math and you're like, well, if I weigh just a little bit less, all of a sudden, you know what I mean? And you'll see that in running. What will happen um, in college when girls start to kind of, you know, oh, I'm just going to have a salad. They do all of a sudden get faster, like pretty quickly. 
But then they get injured. Right. And then they can't run anymore. And then their bone density goes down. And then they get a stress fracture. And then da 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 da, da You know, it's just this horrible cycle. Um, but all of a sudden they start getting faster, right? And during that weird time before they're inevitably going to get injured, everyone sees that and it's like a disease. So it really, I've seen it infect full teams before and it's, it's really kind of scary. And so I have kind of always swung on the opposite end of that spectrum. I have never wanted to think too much about food because I have a very type A personality and I always knew that if I were to start counting calories or be, you know, weighing my food or whatever, I would get obsessive. And food is a very enjoyable thing for me. Like I love cooking. I love baking. I love baking for other people. I love to watch people eat food that I've made. It just like gives me so much joy that I have never wanted to like be so regimented with it because I just, again, I know myself and I would get obsessed and it would be bad. So that being said, I will say I like to follow sort of the 80-20 rule where I would say about 80% of what I'm putting in my body is quote unquote good food, you know, like try to stay as unprocessed as I can, you know, potentially I really like the five ingredient rule and or all, if it's more than five ingredients, I still can read all of the ingredients. I still know what those things are, you know, try to stay away from those heavily processed things where you're like, what the heck is triglyceride, phosphate, la la la. I don't, yeah. that's not even a thing, but you know what I mean? I mean, where is it? Uh, sure, it could be. Who knows? I'm putting it in my new power <laughs> bar that I'm going to sell to everyone. See, there you go. Um, so yeah, so, so, you know, shopping the perimeter of the grocery store is a really great way to avoid things that are quote unquote bad for you. Um, and then I give myself that 20%. You know, if I feel the urge to have ice cream, I'm going to go have some ice cream and I'm not going to feel bad about it afterwards. I have gone the other way where I was like, I'm not going to eat any sugar at all. And then I gave myself a whole month and I, if I give myself a goal, I'm going to do my goal. And so I did it. And then what did I do on day 31? (laughs) I ate seven different desserts that day. We had what we called sugar fest. And we literally went to four different restaurants that have desserts that we like. I did it with a friend of mine. And we just like binge ate. And I felt terrible about myself. So yeah, it's the kind of thing where, you know, I I like to cook, so I'm not eating out a ton. I like to, uh, you know, bake here and there. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think too much about it. It's really like... I think everyone, a lot of people like to lie to themselves and say like, well, I just didn't know that was, like, yes, you did. You knew that was unhealthy. Like at the end of the day, if it comes in a box and has 17 ingredients, half of which you can't read, you probably shouldn't put it in your mouth. That's real talk, guys. Real talk. (laughs) Let's be real. Like even I have some crackers in the cupboard from Trader Joe's and they they're crackers, which you're like, oh, that's processed. But then you look at the ingredients, and there's like seven ingredients, and I know what all of them are. You know what I mean? Ooh, she's gluten free, and I might be hungry, so we might have to check those right. crackers out later. They're like little sleep. They're really good. Um, but anyways, yeah. So, um, I mean, nutrition. Like, I I would love to have someone like talk me through, you know, how to potentially lean out or something one day. You know what I mean? Because I know that to get to an elite level with cycling, there will be a point where me just like making quote unquote healthy choices that I think are, you know, I'm going to need to bring it down to a science a little bit more, right? I'm going to need a certain amount of carbs. I'm going to need a certain amount of fat. Um, but I want someone else to do it and just tell me versus me making those decisions. Because again, I'm going to get too obsessive. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I, I am a person who is also type A. And when I start weighing my food and they tell me I need six ounces of something, it's going to say 6.0. It's not going to say 6.1. Yeah. At least in the beginning. Now, I still weigh because I have portion dysmorphia at times where I will think something is either too much or too little of something and then I just adjust on the fly, which doesn't work when you're trying to be kind of scientific about it because I've always been in this. Like, I am not the smallest person in case y'all haven't noticed, um, but... <laughs> I try and change my body composition in order to do that. You do have to have a particular balance so that your chemistry works the way that it needs to, but I also need to not be hungry all the time. And so I will weigh and measure things out. But there are also times where I just put the food scale 
away and I eat whatever it is, but that's generally when I'm eating things that are not coming out of a box or a bag, but they've come out of the ground or they're, you know, protein yes. or what have you. Cause I, I used to do Weight Watchers and one of the things that she told us when we started doing this point system was you did not end up here cause you ate an apple beyond <laughs> the given amount of apples that you're supposed to Great eat. Great point. So yeah. I, I tend to swing that way. I'm, I'm like, if I'm putting vegetables and protein mm-hmm. in a bowl and then I'm going to throw some rice in it, I may pull out the measuring cup for the rice because a cup of rice it can look very small or very big, depending on how hungry you are when you're fixing your plate. And also how big your plate is. It's true. I have kid-sized plates from Ikea, partly because yep, yep. I... Um, I eat smaller meals during the day anyway, and I don't want to look like I'm not eating anything on a giant plate, but it does help with like, God, I have this massive amount of food that I need to eat. Yes. You want to fill the plate. It's just like human nature to be like, this should look full. And then you put a bunch of stuff on it and then you want to eat all of it. So I always try to eat off of small plates. Yeah. Always. Or a bowl. The salad plate or Mm -hmm. the little kid kind of plate. And it is big enough to fit a cup of rice and six ounces of chicken and Mm -hmm. two cups of vegetables because I do it all the time. Now, sometimes it does take some strategic mounding at times. (laughs) But when I'm making those choices, I'm like, okay, I don't need to measure and weigh everything out unless, like, I'm doing the body comp challenge or something like that. But just fueling for my next goal of finishing a race or what have you, I will... Um, just try and buy only the healthier foods. I don't, I try not to keep processed things because if a box of cookie come, cookies come in my house, they talk to me and they talk really loud. <laughs> and you know, you want it. Right. And so then I'm just like, mine will just eat them all now. And then they're gone. Oh my God, I do the same thing. So oh. I just try not to buy them. Yes. I do the exact same thing where if you have something unhealthy and you're like, I don't, like, I don't need it in my house either, I'm going to like bring it somewhere and give it to like my coworkers or whatever to be like, leave it here. Or I'm like, okay, well, if I just eat all of them right now, now, then I won't eat them later. And it's like, you're still eating. It's like the pound yeah. for pound thing. Like, yep. you still ate all of them. It doesn't matter when you did. You still ate all of them. It's so true. So, I try not to buy it because gluten-free stuff that tastes good. Problem. Problem and expensive. So, I'm not so trying expensive. to. I don't, I don't know very many people out that I see all the time that I like enough to be given my gluten-free deliciousness away because mm-hmm. I don't even know that it's delicious because most people aren't gluten-free. But I'm also not trying to waste my $5.99 that I spent on my four cookies so true. or whatever it is. So true. So, I'm like, guess I'm throwing in an extra class, which, by the way, is probably not a smart way to go about it because you shouldn't just go work out just to all right, but, calories. But here's but the thing. It's okay. <laughs> All that matters at the end of the day, if you are trying to lose weight, is a calorie deficit. You could literally eat ice cream all day as long as you burned more than the calorie amount of that ice cream. Are you going to have a terrible cholesterol level? Sure. But you'll still lose weight. That's true. (laughs) That's true. You will. And people don't realize that. It doesn't matter. Just calorie deficit. Calorie. But if you want to be healthy, if you want to be healthy about it, you should maybe get your vitamins sure. and minerals. Sure, in. sure. I'm just saying. Sure. Just Calorie saying. deficit. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. it seems like a very smart and balanced way to go about your yeah. nutrition. Well, and you know, and when I'm yeah being obsessive about it, I'll have to call you. I talk to my sister sometimes. When I do it. She's like, "You're stressing me out." Right. Food scale and the measuring and whatever. Could you just? Put the chicken on your plate and eat. And sometimes I need to hear that because I am a little OCD about it because I want to be right. And someone told me that it's this. And so I do better when they give me ranges. So like Mm -hmm. six to seven ounces of whatever. And then I'm like, oh, okay. But then I fall into the trap sometimes of like, oh my God, that's, that's going to be way too much. And then my sister will be like, why don't you just measure it and see? I bet you're under. Mm. And as much as it pains me to say, she's right <laughs> all the time about it, too. And she doesn't listen to the podcast, so I don't have to worry about saying <laughs> about that. But Because um, I'll argue her down day in and day out. But it is, I try and be balanced about it, but sometimes it's a struggle. So that all being said, lesson from Bianca is eat on the outside of the grocery store mm-hmm. and you basically can eat as much as you want. Because who's going to really overeat broccoli anyway? Great point. Great point. Just saying. <laughs> Admitting that I um, admitted to the world that she's right. 
So that is part one of my interview with Bianca Queen B. Martin. And as you can tell, we covered all the topics in there, but there is just a little bit more. That story we alluded to about her doing a marathon with me is in part two, along with the transition from a runner to a cyclist and a little bit more about that. So Tune back in next time for part two of my interview with Bianca and you will get a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more motivation to help you keep moving forward on your health and fitness journey. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time for another episode of the TJ Tells It podcast telling about a health and fitness journey. You can find all the archive episodes and show notes at tjtellsit.com forward slash podcast. Never miss the next episode by subscribing through your favorite podcast app, such as Stitcher, iTunes, or Google Play, or just sign up for my email newsletter on tjtellsit.com. Not only that, signing up will score you a free weekly fitness planner. You can send your questions to me at tj at tjtellsit.com. In between episodes, you can follow my journey on Instagram or Twitter by following tjtellsit. Until next time, keep in mind that this is a one step at a time, always moving forward journey, and you will too succeed on your health and fitness journey. I'm TJ and I'm telling you.